Praise the Lord. What a privilege that is to be able to bless his name tonight. Thank you for coming. I trust that it will be uh, worth your effort to be able to be here in the house of the Lord. Um, let me read one question and then uh, uh, read a scripture and then we'll, we'll pray. I know that God can hear our thoughts and I've been wondering if he hears all our thoughts if we are held accountable for any bad thoughts. Well, let me say, I hope not. Anybody else hope not? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity ever thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's just pray together if you would now. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. And Lord, we're grateful that young people have a desire to serve you, to give you their youth, Father. How grateful we are that they want to know, they want to understand your way, and they want to be better Christians or consecrated to you, their lives filled with your presence. So Lord, I can tell from these questions that I got, they have things, misunderstandings, misgivings, just things that Satan tries to put them through and they want to know what's right. I pray tonight that you would help me, Lord, to be able to get out of the way and answer these as best as I can. Speak to us, would you, Father? In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. <clears throat> this, of course, is not just a question for the youth. We know that God certainly knows all of our thoughts, and he can hear our thoughts, whoever it was that asked this question. Then we would think, well, if God does know all of our thoughts, then there's many thoughts that goes through our mind that certainly are not pleasing to him and not his thoughts, then are we held accountable for those thoughts? Anybody here today be honest and say there's been thoughts that's went through your mind today that you didn't like and you, wouldn't, you hope that God don't hold you responsible? Now you wonder how that can be. How can a person who really loves the Lord Jesus and is serving him with all of their hearts, how can thoughts go through our minds that are not pleasing to the Lord? And we know once we become converted and become children of God, then our nature changes and the inside of us becomes the throne room of the presence of God. But our human element is still not saved, still doesn't have the Holy Ghost. My brain don't have the Holy Ghost. Boy, I wish it did, don't you? Don't you wish your brain had the Holy Ghost and your flesh had the Holy Ghost and everything about you, but it doesn't. But what has the Holy Ghost is your soul from within you. That's the control tower. That's your throne room. So in other words, what God did was God ousted that evil nature that you had and the king that lived in your soul was the devil. And God liberated you from that. But you're still in this cucklebur outside. So thoughts that go through our mind can be either good or evil. And we know that the battleground is not the soul. Once you're converted, your battleground is no longer in your soul. God and Satan do not inhabit your soul at the same time. 
but God and Satan will both fight right here. A battleground, for those of you that's different, visit to different battlegrounds, whether it's a civil war or revolutionary war or whatever it would have been, and they might still have remnants of cannons and, and holes in the ground and all types of things that they found. And that was traces of both armies being there. And it's the same way with our mind. Both God and the devil has access to this up here. So what do both of them do? God will fire his word. God will anoint his men and they will preach and bring scriptures and quotes and, th and so on. And they are firing at the enemy. But if it's a real battleground, then the enemy also has the right to fire. So what will he fire? He will, he will fire fear, doubt, unbelief, anxiety, whatever he can do to try to come against us. And remember, Brother Bam told us that Satan's only weapon is to get you to deny yours or doubt yours. That's his only weapon. But if he can convince us he's got all this great power, boy, he could just do anything he wants to do. Don't you believe that for nothing? He cannot. He cannot even make us do wrong. We have to be willing to do that. But in our minds, because our minds are Successible, just like your dreams. Anybody ever had dreams and it was horrible dreams, you know, whether they was uh, unclean dreams or just scary types of dreams. Our subconscious, Satan also has access still to that because it's not yet been fully redeemed. And in every aspect that he can. So when Brother Brown preaches to us the greatest battle ever fought, he laid out 10 gates for us to be able to see. See, taste, feel, smell, hear. Imagination, conscience, memory, reason, and affection. So that's 10 gates that Satan has access to try to get to every one of us. In the soul, there's only one. There's only one gate, and that's your choice. So he will try from the 10 out here, from getting our attention, if it would be through sight or through hearing, and then maybe imagination or conscience or the memory of something that you did or the memory of a pleasure of a sin that you once did. And he would try to gain access to that. All 10 of those are aiming toward the one gate, which is in the soul, which is your choice. Then you choose, do I want to go that way or do I want to go that way? I will obey what the king says on the throne of my heart. Carol and I spoke to a, a sister after service last night and I told her, I said, I've got the question tomorrow night along these same lines that she actually had a council session for. And I told her that the Bible it says, let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body. And the word reign is a Greek word, which is basileos. And it actually means to be king in your body. But when Peter wrote that, he separated your flesh from your soul. And he's talking to two people. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not. But he said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So he's separating the immortal from the mortal and telling you and I, that we have the ability by the new birth to tell the devil, you're not reigning in my body. You're not reigning. You may bother me and you may tempt me and we know that he will. But he does not have the ability to be king unless we crown him king. Now, it can be so when it comes to sickness or disease or temptation or just even 
uh, feeling like you're not a part of, of the church, feeling your young people and say you don't feel like you're part of a certain cliques and whatever that would be in the young people like there are in old people. And you think, well, I really don't belong and nobody likes me and nobody really speaks to me and, you know, all that sort of thing. We all feel that way. And, and we can go through those things and in our mind, those thoughts come there. Well, you're not really needed, you're not accepted, you don't make enough money or whatever more. And, and Satan knows exactly how to attack us in our mind. And I want you to notice this that Brother Bram said, don't never let your testimony be negative. Let it be positive all the time. I'm saved, I have God in my heart, I believe him with all of my heart. Do you believe in divine healing? With all my heart. Let your testimony always and your thoughts, everything. Never permit a negative thought to come in your mind if you can help it. But now let's not stop there, let's continue on to read. When it starts that, don't entertain it. Will you say, I can't keep thoughts from coming? Well, be like the farmer that said he couldn't stop the, thir- the birds from flying over his place, but he sure could stop them from roosting. So every one of us, Satan has access into our mind, and he will put all types of thoughts there, thoughts that's against God. Any of y'all ever even had thoughts come in your mind? I'm not sure there is a God. I don't know if there is a God. Any of y'all ever went through that? I have, and I'm a preacher. So I guarantee you that Satan does that. But I know exactly where that's coming from. God's not going to hold me responsible for that thought because he knows my heart. He knows that's not who I am. So if you're like me, and I'm sure you are if you're born again, then when a thought goes through your mind that so troubles you and bothers you, and the Lord knows in your heart, you was not the one who's even the author of that thought. You've heard me say it before, that Satan is the type of being that he'll talk you into robbing the bank and call the cops on you while you've still got the gun in your hand. Well, that's the way he does with thoughts. He will put thoughts in our mind, turn right back around and say, now ain't you ashamed of yourself? You claim you're a Christian. How could you be a Christian and let that thought be in your mind? You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to condemn you for something that he did himself. So you need to just put him right in his place and say, Satan, you're a liar. That's not what I want. That's not who I am. That come from you. I will not be held accountable for that. Leave me. Get out of my mind and leave me alone. You know, when the, when the devil came to the Lord Jesus... And the scripture says that, that Satan left him for a season. You imagine the son of God? And the angels then came and ministered to him. So the devil quit tormenting the Lord Jesus for amount of time. Who knows how long it was. But it wasn't that even Jesus being the son of God, that he was free from Satan's thoughts and his battles and his trials. But he knew how to meet the devil. So a lot of the things when Satan come against him, if you're the son of God, do this, do that. Jesus never even addressed that question. And where we waste our time is trying to argue with the devil and try to convince him we're saved. And when we can spend all day doing that and he'll come back tomorrow with the same old nonsense as that, why you're not saved, quit wasting your time trying to convince the devil you're saved. Just know you are and know that he's a defeated foe. Notice he said, you can be like the farmer. You can't stop the birds from flying over, but he sure could stop them from roosting. So that's a good thing. You can't help the thoughts when they come, but don't entertain them. Now that's the part that you and I 
will make mistakes on, that we will entertain thoughts. God so developed us when he created man in the Garden of Eden that he has a first conscience, a subconscious, a psyche. He has things about him that are committed to the subconscious. Your blood pressure, your heart rate, uh, walking down steps. We walk down them steps and we get used to it over and over again. We don't have to even look at the steps. We don't even count the steps. No doubt you've done it before to where you go to looking at them and you'll stumble a little bit. Why? You took it from the subconscious and started applying it to your first conscience and it interacted and it crossed the wavelength or the signal going to the muscles in your legs and you almost fell flat of your face. Why? You was pulling it from the wrong source. But how many times have you went up and down them same steps and you don't even think about it? Aren't you glad your breathing is committed to your subconscious? You'd never sleep if it wasn't. If your heart rate was not committed to that, when you enter into the deep cycles of sleep and your heart rate lowers, your blood pressure lowers, all that, where's all that coming from? You and I are out as cold as we can be, sleeping like a log, as we would say. But God committed so much of that to the subconscious. Well, it's the same way with our faith. When we try so hard to have faith, we're pulling it from our subconscious. That's where Brother Bam talks about Jesus. He said that Jesus never stepped to the bow of the ship and said, now let me see if I've got enough faith to speak to the storm. It was in his subconscious. He didn't try to make it happen. He knew who he was and he believed who he was. And whenever we actually weaken ourselves, whenever we try to pull our faith wall from the subconscious part and they say, I'm gonna do this. I've got this, God. I'm gonna do this, that, and the other. No, we'll mess up sure as we do it. But whenever it comes to this part, notice he said, God can only bless you as you confess that he's done it for you. And I said that we have to keep saying this. He's our high priest of our confession, Hebrews 3. He said he's the high priest of our confession. And he can only do for us as we accept it, believe it, and confess it. Now look at those words. Accept, A, believe, B, confess, C. That's all the ABCs you'll need to know to be able to overcome the devil. Then when that enemy comes against you, you stand right there on the promise of the word. Now watch how you bring it over into divine healing. Don't think sitting there in the wheelchair that you're hopeless and helpless. You're not. Don't let that negative thought ever pass through. Now I wonder how we would have thought about that if we were sitting in a wheelchair. Now he didn't say what was wrong with the individual, if it was paralysis, if they were crippled, if they were weak, he didn't really say But if it was someone that had a polio or paralysis in their body, and they knew, they knew what the doctor had said, there's absolutely no hope for you. How are you going to keep a negative thought out of your mind when maybe your legs are totally numb? Your feet are numb. You have absolutely no feeling at all. And yet he told this person, man or woman, whoever it was, don't let that negative thought ever pass through. Don't let it anchor You can't help it from going through your mind, but don't let it stop. Now, Satan knows his rights. He knows exactly what he can do. He knows what he has power as being a fallen angel. He has an element of authority, and he has an element of jurisdiction. Every demon in hell was once an angel of God, and when they fell, They kept the power that they were given by God 
in the category they were made in. And they know exactly what they can do. They also know their limitations. But they know if they can talk us out of who we are, what little bit of power they have left will overcome us if they can get us to doubt our weapon. So this is why it constantly will come in the battle of the mind. I've stood in different cities of the world. Carol and I, a few years ago, was over in Switzerland, and we was able to go to uh, uh, some castles that were there in France, in the southern part of France, and, and um, really beautiful places. I, I love those ancient buildings like that. And you see that they might have walls that would be two feet thick. Some of them would be three feet. Some of them are just unbelievable. But every one of those castles had a vulnerability. And in the towers that they would have on the outside wall, and they would have a slit maybe laid in the masonry, and it would be six to eight feet tall and about that wide, would be as big as it was. Well, actually, there was a restaurant there, and we had lunch one day, and it was an, it was an ancient castle. And yet, this is where the men would stand, and they would shoot their arrows out that narrow place. But every one of them had a vulnerable position, and that vulnerability was the gate. So why try to go through a wall that is two foot thick whenever you have a wooden gate? So they would study, and many of them, they would build them up on a high hill, and they would build a rampart up, and they'd make it real narrow when they'd come through the gate so you wouldn't be able to get a chariot and horses or uh, something wide because the gate was the most vulnerable part. That's where we are the most vulnerable in our walk with God. See, taste, feel, smell, hear, love, imagination, conscience, memory, reason, and affection. Our vulnerability. Now then, if they would break through the gate, then they would have things inside the gates. Uh, We were there in Jerusalem a few years ago, and you look up like this, and what you see is a, a place cut out in this stone. It's made to where they can pour hot, boiling oil and water down on the people who did make it through the gates. So they tried to make the gate as strong as possible, but they knew if they did this and this and this, the enemy would study it and the enemy would do this and this and this and this and then override what they did. So they would have one precaution and then another precaution. So if they made it through the gate itself, then they would have another part there and they'd pour boiling water and they'd pour oil on top of them. They would have rocks. They did everything that they could because their vulnerability laid in the gates. And this is where ours are. I I love this question because somebody asked Brother Branham this in 1964. Brother Branham, please explain how a person knows if he's thinking his own thoughts or if the devil is placing thoughts in his mind to make him think wrong. Now, actually, this person answered their own question, especially if you know you do not want to thank them. They answered their own question, but I'm glad the prophet didn't just say that and stop, but he wanted to take this question. Now, it's a very good question, worded very, very good. Well, then, you know, he said, if it's contrary to the word, it's the devil's thinking. If it's with the word, it's God's thinking. If it's the wrong thoughts, it's the devil. Now, I want you to notice, though, how he's answering this. He's answering this not only on the question, but he's answering this on the last statement 
that the individual said. The individual said, especially when you know it's not what you want. So he didn't answer this question just across the board with every evil thought and all that. He answers the question from a sincere heart of a person that wants to be right. And the first thing he says, if it's contrary to the word, it's the devil's thinking. If it's with the word, it's God's thinking. If it's the wrong thoughts, it's the devil. If it's good thoughts of the word of God, it's God's thinking. If the case may be that the devil is placing thoughts in your mind about a certain thing, how may it be overcome or got rid of? Take the vice versa from it. If the devil makes you think that, that you are, if you know you're a Christian, now there again, notice where he's coming back. Coming back to what they said. If you know that you are a Christian and he tries to make you think you're not a Christian, just take the verse and say, I am a Christian. I want you to look at how hard this is. I mean, it's going to take a rocket scientist, isn't it? To be able to, to do this? Isn't it going to take a, a college graduate and four or five different degrees in theology? And aren't we going to have to labor and, and just be so smart and so super intelligent? No, we're not. It's going to be so simple that the weakest person in this building tonight and the weakest person that will be streaming this, and there will be in Africa and New Zealand and Australia and all over the world, but they'll be hearing these. So the weakest person, whoever you are, can take this right here and defeat the devil in his own grounds. So if you know your heart is toward God and you love him with all of your heart, let that be the pivotal point that when Satan comes against you, that you know, that's not who I am. That's not what I want. I love him. I love him. I don't want this in my mind. I don't want this in my heart. Then you know you can take the vice versa. Now, if you're evil, you're rotten, you're not born again, and you're a sinner, well, you're a dirty, rotten, low-down pig, and you're eating slop, then you like that sort of thing. I don't think there's anybody like that here tonight. You wouldn't be here if you were. So why are you here for? You're here to, to be damned to hell? Anybody come here tonight to be damned? Anybody come to be turned over to a reprobate mind? Anybody here that's, that come with your mind made up? I come intentionally to blaspheme the Holy Ghost so I'll be lost forever and ever and ever. Well, of course not. What are we here for? Because we love the Lord Jesus. And we hope that somebody will ask a question that maybe will help us. Well, I'm not sure who asked this, but I thank them for asking because it helped me in answering it. So we can be benefited, can't we? So look how simple now that it is. It's not that you have to be a preacher and a great, but Brother Donnie, I, I can't remember the quotes like you can. I can't remember like Brother Darrell. Oh, I, I just can't do it. You don't have to. Notice how he simplifies that we can act absolutely, as I told the individual last night, according to the word of God, if you will resist the devil, he will flee from you. He will actually run from you like a chicken, a coward, because he is terrified of a son or daughter of God that knows their position. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a prophet. But whenever you know you love the Lord Jesus with all of your heart and it kills you, 
if you have a bad dream or a bad thought or if you mess up. Y'all still mess up? Of course you do. It kills you when you do it. And he hates it when you recognize who you are and you just stand right there where you are. Notice he said, as long as your experience matches in God's word, say, I'm a Christian. Anything else the same way. When you answer this, please pray for me to overcome this as I am not by myself. Well, I can sure say amen to that, can't you? Now, watch what he says. God, grant your overcoming, ever who you are. May your thoughts just go right on the back on the other side and say, I am a Christian. I am a believer. Satan, you have no hold on me. Now, he didn't have to say this next paragraph that I'm gonna read, but I'm so glad he did. Frankly, I'm standing right here now saying the same thing. Keep from fainting right here at the pulpit. That's right. Four or five times I've almost pitched over the pulpit. That's the truth. God knows that's right. So here Brother Branham is actually not only answering their question, he's living their question. So here he is preaching. And I know it may seem so odd to you. A preacher gets up and preaches under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And if he preaches fast the way I do, and Brother Darrell does, and the other brothers that preach fast, and you're talking 90 miles an hour, and at the same time you're doing that, the devil is talking to you. And if I'm up preaching and say, I'm just a preaching, 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 and somebody gets up and they have to go out to go to the bathroom, or they have to get up and go take their baby out or whatever, and Satan will say, you made them mad. Look at them, they're leaving. Uh-oh, her husband got up too. Boy, you've made them really mad. Yeah. Now you've done it. Now can you imagine you preaching 90 miles an hour and stuff like that going through your mind at the same time? You say, Brother Don, you got a split personality? No, I got a gift in my life that gets anointed, but that's separate from me. So here I am standing fighting battles while I'm preaching. All hell breaking loose in your mind. It's a wonder you even know what, what your name is. My has been able to do this. So your Brother Branham is fighting that very thing. So he's not telling them something that was just good for them. He was telling them what he was doing at the same time. Don't you appreciate a man of God like that? Question for Brother Donnie. If you haven't gone through a great trial, does that mean you don't have the Holy Ghost? No, let me, let me say this to you tonight. Our trials as well as our victories and our walk with God are predestinated to us. Sometimes whenever I will counsel with people and they will share with me, and if Carol is in there with, us, with me, um, the thing that they are going through and the burden that they're bearing and um, how, how difficult it is or this question that they have in their mind. And I'm sitting there and listening and praying that God will help me and give me the answer for them if, if possible. And whenever they will tell me what they're going through and 
compared to what maybe I've been through that day and what I went through in service that night. And uh, I was shocked by this preacher and blasted by this one. And I got this email and this text and this WhatsApp. And uh, this preacher sent me a bunch of quotes uh, trying to tear me down right before I walked out, which is what happened the last question and answers we had, right before I walked out. And then that person tells me their, their problem, and I think, man, alive. If that was my problem, glory to God. Oh, Jesus, I'd just be floating around on clouds. And... But you see, I don't say that to belittle that person's problem. To them, that is no doubt a great problem. Now, you can see where a person maybe would hear someone that's been through a terrible thing, and they would look at themselves and say, I've never really been through anything like that. So does that mean I'm not born again? No, young man, young woman, whoever it was that asked this, it does not. I personally believe, and I can prove it by the scripture and by the message, that some people are ordained of God to go through more than others are. Some are ordained of God to suffer tremendous things in their life. Others will look at them and even say it publicly, verbally. How can they deal with that? How can they go through that and, and still maintain their sanity? Read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul, in the Corinthian church now, he had to take more of a self-defense mode than he did in some of the other churches. Also in the church of Galatia because he was being attacked by the false teachers and the false prophets. Paul was the one who founded these churches and the false teachers was coming in and trying to lead the people away from Paul, actually blasting Paul and saying Paul was a false prophet. And the sad part about it was some of the Galatian believers and some of the Corinthian believers actually left Paul and started following these false preachers, which is heartbreaking to me. I mean, you just think, how in the world could they have been that ignorant? So Paul has to go into this mode, no doubt as a man of God, it was very unpleasant for him. It was very unpleasant indeed. So once you notice, he said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labor, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one, 39 stripes. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. Wow. Now, if you've ever studied the life of Peter or not, Bartholomew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Andronicus, Antiochus, many of the early uh, church age fathers and the writers, many of them went through great hardships, but I have to get to this day, find anyone who went through what Paul said that he did. We all believe John was a great man, right? John was boiled in oil 24 hours on the Isle of Patmos, but John was the only one of the apostles that was allowed to live out his life and not suffer martyrdom. 
Isn't that strange? That John went through a lot for the Lord Jesus, but yet John did not have to go through what Paul did. Now, just reading this little bit here, of the Jews, five times received our stripes, 40 stripes save one, thrice beaten with rods because he stole money, because he stole somebody's wife, because he was a preacher. So if we would take Paul and compare Peter to him, which one suffered the most? Paul did. If we would take John, where did John mention one-tenth of what Paul went through? He never done it. What about Andrew? What about Mark? What about Luke? So whenever you look at it, you realize that God will use some people to be able to display different attributes of himself. Now, say this way, that there'll be some men <clears throat> that God will use them and they'll have great uh, faith. I believe Brother Darrell is one of them. And God uses Brother Darrell and use him all around the world to pray for people and great signs and miracles and wonders happen in, in his ministry all over the world. There's not a man that I know of alive today that I have any more confidence in their prayer than I do Brother Darrell Ward. Yeah, he's alive. I'm going to give him some roses now. Why should I just do it whenever he's passed? I just want to be honest. That's the way I feel about it. And, and I feel that way not to flatter him, but because it's a truth. And there's other men, no doubt, that wish they had that, that Brother Darrell has. But I wonder if they would wish for what Brother Darrell has been through that has helped cultivate and grow that, that he has. So with every gift that comes from God, there is an element of glory. There is also an element of pain, an element of reproach, an element of shame. I think one of the worst mistakes that we can make as Christians is all of us try to be, be, be and believe that we all have to be exactly the same, that we're all just clones. So God makes us one perfect Christian, then every one of us do exactly the same thing as that one does. You will not find that in the teachings of the Bible or the teachings of the message. Now let me go down through a little bit more of what Paul went through in verse 26. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness. My Lord, this man ain't leaving nothing undone, is he? Everywhere he went, in the city, in the country, in the streets, in the back alleys, on the ships, Good thing there wasn't no airplanes because if Paul had been in it, he'd have crashed. He'd have lived, of course, but he'd come out with three broken arms and a neck and a tooth. And look, look at what happened to the man. Now, you know, there's no way that, that you and I believe that the devil could have done all of this to this man just on his own. If Satan had the power to kill all of us, we would have been here tonight, including me. But he can only do as God will allow him to do. So now, watch this. In perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings, which meant he sat up all night watching, couldn't sleep, in watchings often, in hunger, 
I thought David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. You imagine the devil didn't work on this man and say, hey, you're supposed to be a prophet. Now, where's that Lord Jesus that appeared to you, that great pillar of fire? Oh, yeah, you're still bearing the resemblance of that. You know, the prophet tells us that Paul, what he went through, that that thorn that kept coming back and leave and come back, it was his eyes because when the pillar of fire appeared to him, it damaged his eyes. And his eyes, he'd get all swollen up and pus would run out of his eyes. And he had to write with big letters. So he had to make big old letters in order to be able to write. You mean God would hurt a man? Why would God do that? This man was going to have more than all the rest of the men of the New Testament. But he's still going to be left in this. So God had to whoop him. Why? Because this had become exalted. Don't never desire great things from God. Don't never desire to be a great person, a great preacher, a great, you have no idea what you're asking for. Just be what God's made you and God will predestinate your trials and your victories and your glory and they'll all correspond exactly together. Now can you imagine when we stand before the Lord. Now whenever Brother Branham went beyond the curtain of time, Brother Branham never mentioned seeing Paul, Peter, Luther, Wesley, any of those. The only ones that he saw were the ones that he knew, which was in his church age. So apparently in that dimension, which is the sixth dimension, it's divided categorically. And he did not see Paul or any of Paul's people. But whenever we all stand before the Lord, we will stand with our church age messenger. And he will present us there. He will stand. Then the other preachers will stand there with him. And he will present us to the Lord Jesus as the bride of the Laodicean age. Paul will stand with his. And then the Lord Jesus, we will come before him and we will never appear before the white throne. Never the white throne. But it will be the throne of rewards. So we will stand before the Lord and our record book will be pulled out. Not the record of your mistakes, not the record of your faults, not the record of your shortcomings, but the record of your works and what you went through for his sake. Oh, can you imagine when Paul stands up there and this I read you tonight will be quoted out to him again. Paul, I see you in perils often. Perils in the city, perils in the country. Perils of the heathen, perils here, in stripes, in hunger. And because of that, my son, I say, a huge portion of heaven awaits thee. Enter into the joys of your Lord. For you have been faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many. Now, will the Lord Jesus say the same thing about me? No. Because I've not been in the perils that Paul did. Will he say that about you? More than likely not. Brother Joe? No. 
You sisters, more than likely not. I couldn't take all of that. Could you all? Could you take that? I mean, you think, how could you take all of that? And it not just work against you so bad. And There's not a man in the New Testament that wrote about the mystery of God and the plan of redemption like Paul did. And the blessings of God of what we were in Christ. And whenever he talks about being free, and he writes in the book of Philippians and writes those tremendous things about being free in Christ Jesus and what God had done. That man was sitting in Rome in the Marmotine prison. I've stood there and looked down that hole where he was in, in that prison. Rats running over his body. Them dropping his food down a hole and his water. The stench must have been horrific. How could a Christian do that and be able to put up with that and think, yes, Jesus, you love me so much. Thank you for your grace. You gotta be kidding me. You see, this is why that God wants us, every one of us, to fit exactly in our calling. Because whenever our calling, we're in obedience to that, there'll be certain things you will be able to go through and defeat as long as you're in your right place. But if you get out of your calling into another position, it's like demons know they're allocated to attack certain positions and do this and this. Satan loves nothing better than to get a man or woman, boy or girl, out of their position over into a wrong position and they come into a rank of demons they are not qualified to handle. Do you understand one of the greatest positions in America that is vacated more frequent than any other? It's not a president, it's not a senator, it's not a congress, it's not police, it's pastors. The turnover for pastors is the highest in the job market. Why? Because men think, well, mama want me to preach. Mama, I, I went to seminary. I talked to a guy today, a businessman. Seven years in the cemetery. I, I mean, seminary. I, I couldn't keep from feeling sorry for the guy. I thought, you know, you wonder, is the guy even called from, from God to be able to do it? And that's why many men, they get in. Oh, I, I, know, I, I know I'm supposed to. I just know I'm supposed to. And they get in there and it nearly drives them insane. But if we get where we're supposed to be, and then the trials come our way, God will never let the trials overwhelm us if we're where we belong. So, does a person then that has never had a great trial, does that mean that they're not a child of God? Absolutely not. And it could be, it just ain't happened yet. <laughs> it may happen. But I want you to notice, we'll go on here, that Brother Bram says, look at Peter when he was walking by he was a mortal, born of sinful flesh, just like I or you, that's right. But the people had need of a healer. So they sent, God sent Peter to do that specific work. What a profound statement. The people needed a healer and God sent Peter to do that work. But I want you to notice now the difference between him and John. I read this to you just a few weeks ago. John was love. Peter didn't have the love in his heart that John had. But now you see where we fail, as I said earlier, 
is that we will pick somebody and we think, I want to be like them. And now that, that's who I want to be like. I, I want to be like them. I hear them pray and boy, I, I, I want to be that way. I was always kind of jealous of Brother Darrell. This is his night, he's getting the roses. To hear him pray. I mean, he just, you know, just go on and on and on and pray. And he's not acting. He's not just trying to make up words. And, and having the men's prayer meetings and some of the brothers might pray for 15, 20 minutes and they prayed for everybody they knew. They prayed for their dog, their cat, their cow, their horse, their mule. They prayed for everything they knew to pray for and they just run out. And Brother Darrell just kept right on going, right on going. Well, but look at the difference. He gets texts all the time from people all over the world. They'll text him two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning. I've been with him, I know. Wanting him to pray for this, wanting him to pray for that. So he has a prayer list that never ends. And look how God has matched his ability to pray with the contact of the people that contact him to pray. No doubt some of you have done exactly the same thing. So whenever God calls us to do a certain thing, then it's all fit together. I wonder if Peter ever felt a little bit inferior to John. Because Peter was a firebrand. He was a fiery guy, a great preacher. But yet, if you notice reading in the book of Acts and the rest of the epistles, it's not noted that John did near the miracles that Peter did. Even when they were at the gate beautiful and Peter and John were together, yet the Bible says that Peter looked on the man and said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Well, what about John? How come John didn't, Peter didn't say, all right, now I'll say the first part. Silver and gold have I none, and you say the other part, John. But notice what God done. There were both of them, great men of God, but yet God chose Peter, and if you'll read it, you'll find out he'd done more miracles than any of the rest of them did. But yet, Peter was not a man of love the way John was. Praise the Lord. Peter didn't love, have the love in his heart that, that John had. John was God's agency of love. But I wonder which one today we would think would be the greatest person. The man that would do the miracles or one that would have love or one that God would allow to suffer in such a way that it would seem almost unbearable. What if God chooses certain people to suffer and suffer physically, psychologically, maybe emotionally, and God will bring an attribute of his own nature out of that person's life, and they may wonder, God, why am I going through this? I, I don't understand. Let me just, as your pastor, open my heart to you tonight, okay? I believe myself, the Lord God called my daughter Erica to suffer in an element that other people, had they went through what she went through, they would have broke under it. Me and her mama saw we saw a lot of what she went through, and no doubt she hid a lot from us. But never one time 
did I hear her complain. Never one time did I hear her say, God, why? How come? Don't you love me? Why would you do that? Why? But that little girl's life touched preachers, preachers around the world. How could she have done that if God had not given her that special grace? But now for other people to try to do that, they would fail miserably. You understand what I'm saying? So each of us, our, our walk with God, our position, how far we'll be elevated in God. There's, there's great preachers, my goodness, that'll preach circles around me and preachers that'll have experiences with God that I'll, I'll never be allowed to have. I know that. I, I've accepted that a long time ago. But I know one thing. I want my own. And I want what God has for me. I'll never be what some of the great men of the message are. But really, if God don't want me to be that way, I don't want to either. I want to be what God wants me to be. Anybody else feel that way tonight? And I refuse to be jealous of anyone who would have more or bigger, you know, that's the way we think, more and bigger and bigger miracles and more miracles and more people and more and more and bigger and bigger. I, I just never have thought that way and I don't think that way. Now, what I want, whatever it is that has my name on it, that's what I want. What God thought about me and what, what attributes does he want me to express? I honestly believe that there are preachers that are called, like Paul, to publicly bear the reproach for Christ and his word. They will be more publicly ridiculed than others. They will be even picked on by others. It don't mean they're greater than others. It just means that God wants to use them to express an attribute of his being that, say, the miracle-working guy will never touch. Or say the person that God is using to express his faithfulness and his patience when it comes to enduring sickness and things like that. And there's so many attributes that he has. So you young people will bring glory to God in a way I couldn't even dream of. You go through things in your school and in your college and on your job. You go through things I never face that I'll never have to deal with. Most of my dealings is with Christians. I'll bump into center people at Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that. But I don't really deal with that many people the way you have to. So God cannot really choose me to express that attribute the way he would some of you. And yet you say, I don't never do nothing for the Lord. Every day you live and work and walk as a Christian, you've expressed an attribute of God's mercy. And you're doing it in a way that I can't even touch. And when you stand before the Lord, that is written in the book of remembrance. Watch how Brother Bram deals with this. He said, look, when he taken Peter, James, and John, hope, faith, and charity. Don't you see those gifted people there? The three, hope, faith, and charity. Hope was in James. Now, James is a great man. But you don't find the supernatural in James' ministry the way it was in Peter. And James was not noted as one of a man of love. Not saying it didn't have love. Now, don't think that I'm thinking tonight that, well, it'll only be certain people that'll have love. No, 
Every member of the body of Christ will have love, but there will be some that will excel in love. You understand that? And there'll be some that'll have signs and wonders and miracles, and there'll be others that will excel in that, and God chose them for that. But that's only the glory side. They will also have to pay a greater price than those who have less. It just comes with the territory. Once you notice how he compares this and things that ought to be, I don't believe that when we get to heaven that we'll all be just everybody look exactly alike. I don't believe that we'll all be blondes or brunettes or little or big or all giants. I believe that God is a God of variety. The world proves that. He's got big mountains, little mountains. He's got plains. He's got deserts. He's got different things because he made it the way he wanted it. He made the season, summer, winter, spring, autumn. It shows he's a God of variety. He made you in a variety. Now listen what's in the family of God. Some men are blusterous. Some are real dogmatic. Others are fine. Others are kind. You just find all different kinds of people and in his kingdom. Praise God, there's hope for us as sure as there's a world. Aren't you glad there's hope for the blusterous? Now, there might be some blusterous people sitting here tonight, and they really struggle being around the fine people. Some people are just so fine and so kind and so delicate. And you blusterous people feel like I don't know what around them, don't you? And you think, there ain't no hope for me. Oh, yes, there is. There's hope for all of us. And the, the people that are natured in that way, all oh, those attributes, they're expressing. But there will also be attributes expressed in the blusterous person that those that are more genteel will never be able to express. God will be able to get a hold of that temperament and do something with that temperament and prove it's him that does it. And it will actually bring glory to the kingdom of God. You say, boy, that old boy, my goodness, that man had a temper. Oh, my. He was wound up tighter than an eight-day clock. I'm, boy, he would just buzz up in your face. Isn't it amazing what the Lord's done for him? Isn't it awesome what God's done for that sister? Remember, she was this and this and this, and look what God has done. So God chose that person to be able to bring this attribute of himself into them and they hate it. Oh, God, I wish I wasn't that way. I wish I was like so-and-so. They're so nice. But what if all of us was nice? I imagine there's some here tonight that are. I hope. I mean, I'm thinking that surely there's somebody that are. <laughs> but what if all of us were just so gentle and just so kind? None of us had any issues whatsoever. Boy, wouldn't we look down our nose on them people that come to church here on Sunday morning that's got all the problems. We'd say, you all ought to come and fellowship with us and hang around us, all of us, goody, goody, two shoes. But the truth of it is, all of us have issues, don't we? All of us got issues, all of us got problems, and all of us need God to help us, don't we? Including the man preaching to you tonight. And yet God will diversify. Now watch how he compares them. Look at St. Peter 
and judge him by Andrew. Andrew is that prayer warrior. Just stayed on his knees all the time. And the apostle Peter was one of those firebrands that preached and so forth. Let me know how Peter was. But I'm so glad Peter's mistakes was written in the Bible, ain't you? You know, the only time, a lot of times that people, Peter opened his mouth was to change feet. That was the only time he opened his mouth. He put his foot in his mouth one time after another, lose his temper, arrogant. Aren't you glad those things are written about such a man? Look at what God done with him. But God chose a man with that makeup and be able to make such a man out of him. But you never find Peter saying he went through what Paul went through. But I wonder how the people in that day must have looked at Paul and said, how come that dear brother go through so much stuff? They'd have to say like Brother Tracy, it's just God, honey. That's all you can say, it's just God. But how many other people that we would look at them and say, look at that poor brother, that poor sister. They've been so sick and they've been through this and that and the other. And they, they, just, they encourage you and they just seem like they just always have a great attitude. How in the world can they do that? Same God, different attribute and using them. Now, I don't mind telling you, we may look down on people that are prayed for, whether it's a physical thing or an emotional thing, and it seems like that they just never get delivered. And yet God will allow that thing to linger and linger. Brother M talks about a sister out in Arizona. And whenever he went to preach, he was there a couple of different times, and she was in a wheelchair. Now he said, this sister, he said, look at her. She's just like a rose among you, she said, he said. And said she just smiled, and she's got this great temperament about her. So what he was doing was looking there, and there was people during those meetings that was absolutely healed. But yet there was something about this sister that was emanating victory, even though, as far as I know, she never did get healed but yet still had faith to believe that God could do it. But if God had a reason that he's using her to be able to bring it out. You know, Paul wrote about those in the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews, and he said they never obtained the promise. They never got it, but they believed God to the very last breath left their bodies. So God told Abraham, I'm gonna give you this whole land. Every bit of it's yours and your seed. And yet when his wife died, he didn't even have a spot big enough in the ground to bury her. But according to God, he owned it all. And he had to go buy a burial place. Isn't it amazing? They believed and they trusted. And people say, oh my goodness, they didn't have faith. They did have faith. They did have faith. And they believed. And it's the same way with our battles. Can I have a few more minutes before we close? Notice, Brother Bram, in the masterpiece, now the patriarch foundation first, Abraham, then Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the four corners. Abraham was the foundation of faith. Let's say it had four foundations. The foundation of faith. The foundation of love was Isaac. The foundation of grace was Jacob. God's grace to Jacob. Anyone knows that. But in Joseph was perfection. I'm sure that you've noticed it before. Abraham, the great patriarchal father. God did great things through the man. His son Isaac, not so much. 
Anybody tell me any great miracles Isaac ever did? Tell me what great things that Isaac ever accomplished. He was the son of a great man and the father of a great man. But he wasn't so much a great man. He was just a mediocre man in between two great people. But how's Jacob going to get here without an Isaac? Now, I wonder how many Isaacs that there's going to be in heaven, but we focus on the Abrahams and the Jacobs. So here was Abraham, the great patriarchal foundation. And then you've got an Isaac. And what do we know about Isaac? Well, he was a type of Christ and that Rebekah was, was his bride and he was a type of Christ. We know he lied. We know that he denied his wife. What other great things did the man do? What battles did he win? Ever take any of his servants like Abraham did, 318 warriors, and go up against the, the kings of, of the vale of Sodom and Gomorrah against the slime pits? No. What, uh, what great things did he do? Well, he dug a well or two. He followed the message. Believe what God said. The son of a great man and the father of a great man. Raised and influenced greatly by his mother. A man then that was given the trait by the prophet as a man of love. But as far as great faith, did he have the great faith Abraham had? No, he didn't. But was he necessary? Absolutely essential in the foundations of the masterpiece. Now this is the sermon Brother Bram is preaching. So God laid the patriarchal foundation of Abraham faith. Second patriarchal foundation, Isaac in love. The third patriarchal foundation, Jacob, God's grace to Jacob. But Joseph was perfection. Totally different than Abraham, totally different than Isaac, totally different than his father. All of them were needed. You know how many of you all are needed? Every one of you. Men, women, boys, girls, black, white, red, yellow, rich, poor, in the middle somewhere, every one of you are needed and important to God and important to our church and to our church family. Now, you may be a foundation of faith. God may use you as a foundation of love. God may use you as a foundation of grace. But wherever God uses you, just keep in mind, with that will come an element of glory with that will come trials. Isaac never had the trials that his father nor his son had. Isn't it amazing? The brothers, Joseph's brothers, they were chosen of God. Put all 11 of them together. They never had the trials that Joseph had. But what if they went and tried to make themselves? Well, you know what? I love God too. I, I want to be chosen by God. And they were but they were chosen for different positions. So whoever asked this question, because you've never had a great trial, does it mean you haven't had the Holy Ghost? No, it does not mean that at all. And some people will go through life and they may never have a great, tremendous thing. And they'll look at others and think, my, they went through this, I feel so sorry for them. And they went through that and I, I, I'm, I must not be worth very much. I must not be, no. Maybe that's exactly where God placed you. You're in between two slabs of foundations of great trials and tests. 
The church went through those stages in the book of Acts. They would be persecuted from the outside. And then the Bible said the churches had rest. When an emperor change would come from the Roman Empire, there was always a political change and a political head, of course. But after Christianity became what they considered a threat to Rome, it would, it would depend upon the emperor. Now, Diocletian was one of the worst that ever was. Nero, some of them. But then there was others, and they were kind of partial to Christianity. I'm talking about pre-Constantine era. They were a, a little bit partial to Christianity. And God would actually use that political head, and it would bring a little bit of rest into the churches. So if you follow that, that same symbol in the church ages, you'll see some of the church ages went down into such heavy, heavy, dark persecution. And then others, it's like they come out on the other side and they had hundreds of years and it just seemed like they floated right along. It was not a great difficult thing to serve God. It wasn't like your, your life was on the line and then that generation go out and another generation. Look at us in the last days. The most difficult age that's ever been on the earth. But some of our grandmothers and grandfathers, they also had their trials. But each one of us, if we'll find our spot, we will be tempered according to the amount of test that we can endure. Aren't you grateful for that? Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. I find this so amazing that Paul actually identifies some of what Christians go through are actually the sufferings of Jesus himself. Not for him, but they're actually his sufferings. Whether we be afflicted, it's for your consolation. Now watch, here he's showing them that part of what he's going through is for them. And salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. 2 Corinthians 1, 7. Our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also be of the consolation. For we not, but not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we even despaired of life. Paul reached the spot that he thought, I'll not make it. I will not come through this one. It's so bad, I'll never make it. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe some of you will never have to go through that. But it don't mean that you're not a Christian. It does not mean that you don't love God with all of your heart. But God will allow each of us to be tested to the spot that he can bring us to. I think whenever I stand and preach, and Lord willing, in July I'll be 68 years old. I've been preaching since I was 18, so that's, as you guessed it, 50 years. 20 minutes of inspirational preaching is like eight hours of work. So if I preach about an hour, then I've, per, I've worked equivalent to 24 hours. So I've done that for decades. And yet, it takes a lot out of me. 
But I think of my dear friend, Brother Ron Spencer, taking about 30 pills a day. And he texted Brother Tim and I yesterday and went to have scans and doctor's appointments and vomiting, sick. Texted me a month and a half, two months ago, going to church Sunday morning to preach, vomited eight times before he got there to get up and preach and give everything that he had. Brother Darrell called me five, six months ago in a motel, laying flat on his back in the floor in a motel with his feet and legs up on the bed was the only place that he could find any relief because his back was killing him. And I think, I don't guess I've really went through much. <laughs> but yet I know I've went through things that neither Brother Darrell nor Brother Ron has went through. And both of them have told me, Brother Donnie, I don't see how you do it. I don't see how you do it. I don't see how you put up with it. It'd drive me crazy. So each one of us are called in different ways. And what would it all be when it's all said and done? And we will all stand before him at that day. And there will be people that have said about you and you and you and you. I don't see how you did it. I understand when you got saved, your whole family forsook you. I understand that when you come to the message of the hour, your family just, oh, I, I could never do that. I don't know how you did that. How did you do that? You see, that will be the commonality among all of us. That question will be asked in German and Afrikaans. It will be asked in French, in Spanish, in English. It will be asked in many languages around the world. How did you do it? And the answer will be the same for all of us. He helped me. He helped me. Praise God. One day when we stand before the Lord and we look at Paul, and when we get to fellowship with him, we say, Brother Paul, how did you do that? I read that so many times about you, and every time I did, it, it just pricked my heart and tore me all to pieces for you, brother. How did you deal with that? God help me. Whenever we ask Brother Branham, Brother Branham, how did you go through all that you did? The world hated you. They despised you. How did you do it? The answer will be the same. He helped me. You'll be asked the same thing. How did you live in that last day? Oh, I heard it was horrible. I heard it was the worst age for any human being to ever live. How did you ever do it? Let me tell you what you all are going to say. His grace. His grace helped us. That's how we overcome. This is one thing I love about him. He calls us for a certain work. He empowers us, enables us, helps us to do it. Then we stand before him and he rewards us for what he helped us do. And sometimes people say, well, it ain't fair. I agree, it ain't fair. It ain't fair for him. He helps me do what I do and then I'm gonna stand before him that day and he's gonna reward me. Are you kidding me? What do I deserve? 
What do you deserve? If I got what I deserved, it would not be heaven. It would not be his mercy. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together. We'll stop here for tonight. Thank you for these questions, Lord. I've been so blessed as I've studied them, Father. I thank you for the youth of our church. I love each one of them. I thank you for the desire to live for you and to serve you. I pray you'd keep them, Jesus. Help them. Give them strength, Father. May each one of them find that spot in their life of what you've called them to be. Then, Lord, when the trials and the tests come, they will have what it will take to match the trial. And we know that it would be unbecoming to your nature to call us for a work and then that work destroy us. It makes no sense. It's not the work that destroys us. Either we take too much on ourselves, or we get out of our calling and we get in over our heads and we can't get out. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us. I know myself, Father, when I've got so weary and I felt like I couldn't, couldn't put one foot in front of the other. And I went to look around and just kind of survey everything. I began to realize it was not you. It was me. I got, I got too busy. I, I took more on me than what I should have. It was never you. I pray you'd help each of us, Father. We know when your prophet first started out and he tells us about being out there in Arkansas in the prayer line, eight days and eight nights, he ate his meals on the platform. They had a cot on the platform and he would take a break and sleep a little bit on the platform and then get up and pray for people. And when he got done, there was more people to be prayed for than what he had prayed for in all them days. And yet after those meetings, he runs off, off the road into a field, has a nervous breakdown, nearly loses his mind. And he said, does God do that to a man? And then he answers his question, no, man does that to himself. So he had a great desire to help so many people. Help us, Father, as we try to do what you've called us to do, to be balanced and all. You've not given to any of us to save the world. We know, Father, you're the Savior. So help us to work within our limits and to realize that even you told your disciples they must come apart and rest a while. And as a preacher told me years ago, either you come apart and rest a while or you come apart. So help each of us, fathers, mothers, housewives, young married couples, singles, whatever we are, Lord, that we can find what you've called us to be and be faithful therein, Lord. May each of us, Lord Jesus, do as the scripture tells us, casting your cares upon him for he cares for you. 
Lord, would you minister to every heart here tonight and those that have strained the surface. Heal the sick. Encourage those that might be discouraged. We love you, Father. Thank you for our little gathering time tonight. Blessed, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Joe, Brother Rob, whichever of you. thinking of. Um, I want you to recognize, I want you to recognize what's happening for us. When I was your age, and I know old people always say when I was your age, right? There was no opportunity for me to ask a question to anyone about anything. There, even if I had asked questions to someone to ask, what about this? What about God's nature? What about that? there was not inspiration for anyone to give me an answer. So recognize what God does for us and how he loves us and a capacity to ask a question and have someone with Brother Donnie for 50 years that have been studying and learning of God and anointed God to be able to gift as a gift to me, as a gift to you or to the body, to expound on things, to give us answers to life. One, I started reading the message what was so profound to me at my age in my 30s what the, is that there were answers to life. A man had wondered about certain things of why am I here? What am I here for? What am I to do? What's it all about? There must be more. There were answers in the capacity of things that I was reading that were coming to and popping to me to recognize this is what it's about and this is what the world so starves for. So, what, so I don't want you to miss or miss at your age for the, the ability that you have to have questions and have answers. There, I was in, oh my goodness, I was raised in Catholic church. I, was, I went to Lutheran church. That was all kinds of different years until I was 30 years old. There, was no, there were no questions. There were no answers. But right now you have grown up knowing that either Brother Branham had question and answer services. Your parents had question and answer services for, with Brother Donnie when he first came to the church. To you it is normal, but it's God's grace to you to, not, to recognize the, the blessing that it is and thank God for it. That's what I want you to know from me sitting in this row and, and enjoying these things, right? And the world knows nothing of. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay? So thank God. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Brother. We love you. Certainly appreciated that tonight. Let's just think about what we've heard and just keep it in our hearts. Christ alone will I glory, though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure, and by His strength alone I'll overcome. Oh. I could stop and count successes 
like diamonds in my hand but those trophies could not equal to the grace by which I stand in Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross in every victory let it be said of me my source of strength my source of hope is christ alone mm, in christ alone will i glory for only by his grace i am redeemed and only on my weakness to my need and now I seek no greater honor than just to know him more and account my gains but losses to the glory of my find my glory in the power of the cross in every victory let it be said of me my source of strength my source of hope is in Christ alone I pray my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross in every victory let it be said of me my source of strength my source of hope is Christ in the fear of the Lord as you are ready to go. We're going to sing victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story How the Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a rich like me I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior for. 
sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and he caused the blind to see and then i cried dear jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow jesus came and brought to me the victory Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I sing a feather song of victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due. Plunge me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Thank you all for coming tonight. You're dismissed in the fear of the Lord. Let's just sing a little bit more. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory. Cleansing for love.